0: to know that we're going to share heaven together one day. And right now we're serving with them uh, on behalf of the same kingdom, the same church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's open our Bibles together today to Galatians chapter 6. Paul begins chapter 6 by addressing you who are spiritual. We talked about that last week. I want to ask you a question, are you spiritual? Most of us shy away from answering that question directly because the word spiritual has a certain connotation to it. We seem to think it means a person who has his Christian life all put together, or someone who seldom sins, or perhaps another person who thinks about God and the Bible all the time. What does it mean to be spiritual? In the context of Galatians chapter 6, the word spiritual refers to one who, in the first place, lives by the Spirit. That is, one who is born again. And then that person also walking by the Spirit. That is, living in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. They're walking in the line that the Holy Spirit lays down for their lives. A walk in submission to the Holy Spirit produces a love-dominated life. A love-dominated life is a way of relating to other people as Jesus would relate to them. It's the opposite of the fleshly life, which is self-centered, self-dominated, self-directed, self-serving, self-indulgent. The love-dominated life has the arrows pointing outward. He is loving one's neighbor as he loves himself. Today, in the text that we look at as we close the study of Galatians, we're going to see a text that was written by the Apostle Paul which is in response to false teachers and their doctrines which had undermined the faith of these Christians. They had been robbed of their spiritual freedom because of their belief in this false doctrine of legalism. And rather than leading them toward godliness, this legalism had led them into a, an outbreak of fleshly living. Legalism always does that. Legalism does not lead to spiritual living. Legalism does not lead to godliness. It leads rather to fleshliness. Paul was shocked that the Galatians had deserted the message of grace so quickly and so easily. He rebuked them for it, even as he sought to appeal to them to return to the message that he had delivered to them. In conclusion, as he brings this letter to its culmination, he prescribes some principles for living in the Spirit. You see, grace, the grace of God, frees us from the burden of our own fleshly works to live under Christ's Lordship. And that's really the essence of what spiritual living is. It is experiencing a personal and growing relationship with Jesus as the Lord of one's life. One who is spiritual hasn't arrived. One who is spiritual isn't one who is without sin. The one who is spiritual is growing. And experiencing an ever deeper relationship with Jesus as the Lord of his life. Paul lays out for us in the text we're going to look at at least three principles that I see that help us understand what it means to live spiritually with Jesus as Lord. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6 of Galatians 6 where it says, And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary." So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. The first principle that I see Paul pointing to in verse 6 is the principle of teaching and sharing. Paul taught in the churches that he established that the ministry should be undergirded by the voluntary giving of God's people. It may be difficult to understand, for us at least, how revolutionary that idea was in that first century. Because you see, the Jews paid a tax to support the ministry at the temple. And the pagans were accustomed to paying certain fees at their pagan temples and rites. The idea of giving voluntarily was brand new. And apparently, there were some of the people in Galatia who developed a fleshly attitude about this. They became what we might call consumers in the language of the late 20th century. Consumer Christians who wanted to take and who wanted to receive an expected ministry for themselves, but they did not want to give anything in return for that. And so Paul speaks to that issue in verse 6. It's rather an abrupt change, isn't it? He just seems to immediately jump into this subject. But the principle is very clear and is found not only here in Galatians, but a number of times in the New Testament, that those who serve the body of Jesus Christ, realizing the calling to pastor and teacher, are to make their living from that work. Paul is saying it's a voluntary matter of giving, but there is in that voluntarism a certain responsibility as well. Else there is an abuse of grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle says, Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have, the, have, the, have their share <coughs> with the altar? So also the Lord directed that those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Another way of saying this is that Paul tells us as the people of God that we are to bless those who bless us spiritually. There is this tendency, especially in the culture we have today, to imagine that somehow spiritual service to us ought to be free, that there ought not to be any cost related to it. After all, grace is free, salvation is free, the gospel is free. But Paul reminds us that while all of that is true, it's free to us. It was very costly to Christ and to God. And he tells us that part of our spiritual duty under grace is to care for those who teach and preach and lead. He calls it here a fellowship. The word share in verse 6 is the word koinonia, that's the noun form of it, And so Paul looks upon this matter of giving as really a fellowship. He says that the one who walks by the Spirit, who is spiritual, is one who will demonstrate this aspect of love also. He does not want us to see giving to the ministry as a legalistic burden or obligation, but rather as an opportunity to demonstrate our fellowship. Our partnership in the things of God. <clears throat> I think that's a wonderful way and a, an appropriate way, really, of looking at the way that we give to God in our local church. That this is fellowship. We usually think of fellowship in terms of food or of conversation, but Paul says here fellowship is also giving as we receive. Warren Wiersbe said. We must remember that what we do with material things is an evidence of how we value spiritual things. I need to move ahead to the second principle, verses 7 through 10, and that is the principle of sowing and reaping. Paul gives us here an agronomic illustration of a spiritual principle. Just as there are inviolable laws in the physics of our material universe, so there are invaluable laws, inviolable laws, in the moral and spiritual universe that God has created. We cannot escape those laws. And one of them is found in this very simple phrase, that we reap what we sow. Is that not true in agriculture? A farmer goes out to his field and he sows wheat. He doesn't expect to reap soybeans or corn he reaps wheat. And the same is true morally and spiritually. That what we sow in our lives is what we reap. In science it's called the cause and effect law. Someone has written, Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit sow a habit and reap a character sow a character and reap a destiny what we sow we reap Paul points to two fields and to two harvests in these words the one field is the flesh it's possible for us as Christians to sow to the flesh. The flesh, of course, is that dimension in us where sin operates. It's that point of contact in us where sin expresses its desires and its lusts. As we saw in our study in chapter 5, the flesh and the spirit are at war within the believer, each seeking to dominate. You and I can sow to the flesh. That is, we can play with the desires of the flesh. We can feed them. We can coddle them rather than crucify them. And when we do, we will weep from the flesh. John Stott writes these poignant words. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying every time we read pornographic literature every time we take a risk which strains our self-control we are sowing 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 to the flesh. And when we sow to the flesh, Paul says we reap corruption, or decay, or deterioration. In other words, when we sow to the flesh, when we play with its desires and give in to its lusts, the result is that our lives begin to experience decay. Decay our character begins to deteriorate. There is a destruction that begins to be carried out in our spiritual life when we sow to the flesh. On the other hand, he says, we have the choice of sowing to the spirit, the second field. The spirit here refers to the Holy Spirit who indwells our spirit, our new nature. He says that we may sow to the Spirit. What does that mean? It means to cooperate with the Spirit. It means to be generous in giving in the context of what this paragraph is about. That's its primary application. But beyond that, it also means to employ prayer in the Word as a means of grace. To meditate on wholesome and God honoring things and as he will go on to say to do good to all men especially to those who are of the household of faith you see all of those ideas are part of what it means to sow to the spirit what the spirit wants to do in our lives and as we do that we reap another harvest he calls it the harvest of eternal life he doesn't mean here salvation. That by sowing we earn salvation, or we reap salvation. Eternal life is a word that is used in a number of ways. Not only of the quantity of years that God gives us in our salvation, but of the quality of our lives. And so Paul is emphasizing that here. He says that when we sow to the Spirit, when we we cooperate with what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives the result is that we experience the Spirit's fruit of joy and peace and long suffering and so on. The Spirit begins a process of spiritual growth and moral growth and development in our lives. That's what he means here by eternal life. Now you have a choice every day as to how you're going to employ this principle of sowing and reaping. You decide where you're going to sow, and then you also must be the one who will do the reaping, because the two inextricably are linked together. The principle of sowing and reaping. And then there is a final principle I want us to look at verses 11 through 18 I'm going to pick up the reading in the text here see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand Paul normally apparently dictated to an amanuensis or to a secretary but at this point he he picks up the pen as it were and he begins to write himself with large letters some say because of poor eyesight but more likely Paul is saying here I want you to see that I'm writing the way that I am in large letters to emphasize by my own handwriting what I have said to you and the urgency of this message that you return to grace and forsake legalism. He says those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, the legalists, try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But may it ever be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, by this standard, by that he means grace, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause cause trouble for me, for I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. And so the letter closes with the final principle, which I've called the principle of boasting and suffering. The Judaizers, these false teachers, the the ones who tried to impose upon the Galatians the the concept of law-keeping and ritual in order to please God, they boasted. They boasted about how they were able to dominate the Galatians and how the Galatians seemed to fall into line after them. Paul says, I'm not going to boast in the fact that you're following me. He says, in fact, I boast in one thing. He says, I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, it is the means by which I have died to the world, and the world has died to me. I am no longer alive to that stuff. I am alive to Christ and his kingdom. He says, I'm a part of the new creation, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the new birth that I've experienced. I'm a part of what God's new order is all about. And my boasting is in the cross of Jesus alone. And I believe that one who walks by the Spirit, one who is a spiritual person, is also one who will boast not in his attainments, not of the number of converts that he has, not of what he's been able to accomplish in his life, but his boasting will be solely in the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross and what he has done on behalf of us all. But Paul wants us to know that this principle is a principle of boasting and suffering. Because when you boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in for suffering. Because the cross is an offense to the world. It is an offense to our flesh. It is an offense to our pride. And he says, I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. Back in those days, slaves would often be tattooed or a scar or a brand would be put upon their body to show who their owner was. Paul had been persecuted for the cross of Christ and even now was suffering at the hands of the very people he had led to Christ. And he said, my sufferings, my persecution, even the very marks in my body, these are the brand marks that I am the servant of Jesus it is one thing to wear a cross around your neck as a piece of jewelry but it is another thing to boast in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and to declare a message to the world that it does not want to hear and that is that human works are insufficient to make us right with God And that the only way to be right with God is through his work on the cross on our behalf. That we are hopeless and helpless in our sin. That we need a savior. When we boast in that message and in that cross and in that savior, then we are in contradiction to the world that we live in. And as Paul says to Timothy, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer Persecution. In what do you glory? And for what or for whom will you suffer? What a great principle Paul gives to us here. As men and women who want to be spiritual. We must apply this principle to our lives and boast in Jesus and be willing to suffer with him and for him. Sometimes I've been asked the question, Pastor, how can I experience the blessing of God in my Christian life? The answer is fairly simple. It is this. The blessing comes when we choose to follow the principles of God's word. Because that's how we know we're living under the lordship of Christ. When we're following the principles of the word of the Lord. Not following them as some rigid, legalistic, have-to system, but following it with joy, applying those principles with delight in our lives. Max Lucado writes about this in his book, A Gentle Thunder. He talks about the guy who wants to learn to dance in the role of the Holy Spirit. He says, This fellow who wants to learn to dance is a rational, intelligent sort, so he goes to the bookstore and he buys a how-to book. And he takes it home and he starts reading, he carefully does everything it says. When the instructions say, sway, he sways, and when the instructions say, lean, he leans, and the instructions say, spin, he spins. He even cuts out paper footprints and arranges them on the family room floor so he will know exactly where to step. At last he thinks he's got it down pat so he calls his wife and he says honey watch me with the book in his hand and reading aloud so she'll know what that he's done his homework he follows the instructions step by step it says take one step with your right foot and he does that it says take turn slowly to the left he turns slowly to the left he keeps it up reading and then dancing reading and dancing through the whole thing and then collapses exhausted on the sofa and says to his wife well what do you think I've executed it perfectly. To which she replies, you executed it all right. You killed it. Her husband was puzzled. He said, but I followed the rules. I laid out the pattern. I did everything the book said to do. But, she sighs, you forgot the most important part. The music. And you know, some of us are that same way as we approach the Christian life and the Lordship of Christ. And we begin to follow the principles of the Bible, and and they become burdensome and heavy, and we're, we're doing all of the right things, but we've forgotten the music. And Michaela goes on to say that the music is the life of the Spirit. If you don't get anything else out of this message this morning or out of the whole series that we've done in Galatians I hope you'll hear me in this that it's not the rules that we keep that bring joy and fulfillment and glory to God in our Christian life it is living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and applying the principles with the music of the Spirit playing in our lives, then and only then we'll dance. Let's pray together.